0: There we go. Um, I'm going to give you the little backstory to First Timothy chapter three. Yes, Ken. I would like to pray for the family. Yes, let's do that now. Lord J.D. Downey came home to you this past Saturday, I believe it was. How what a glorious thing, Father, that he's with you. A dear friend, and many of us knew him from Course Gold. But I pray for Doris and the rest of that family, Lord, as they mourn his uh, passing. And yet, it's a glorious graduation, as I said. We pray, God, that you would be uh, with that family, give them that assurance that He's with you, and the joy that it's a temporary separation and that death has no sting for we who believe uh, in in Your Son Jesus. We pray in His name, Amen. Thank you, Ken. You're welcome. Um, okay, First Timothy chapter three you can turn there in your Bible if you want. The backstory is first Timothy is one of the three pastoral epistles. It's about church how to run a church, what should be done, what shouldn't be done. First Timothy, second Timothy, Titus, they all start with T and um, Paul writes this book to Timothy, who's a young pastor with an unruly church with some false teachers creeping in who are starting to convince some people. It's worrisome. Timothy has written a letter to Paul saying, please let me get out of here and come with you uh, on missionary journeys, which I did before. I'd rather do that. Paul's writing him him, this letter back saying, Timothy, stay where you are. You're supposed to stay there. Here's how to run a church. That's basically what it's about, how to deal with each type of person, Um, old people, young people, widows, elders, deacons, we talked about last week, the qualifications for those who will lead a church. The Bible clearly explains how a church ought to be run. I said last week, if you go to a church, even if it's great, and it's run by one person, and there's no elders, no accountability, you better get out of there and find one that's biblically, because the Bible explains how churches are supposed to function. Um, So he's writing this, There's false teachers teaching a number of things. We're going to see them tonight. One of them, there's all kinds of myths and genealogies and legends that they love to major on the minors and talk about stuff that doesn't really matter that much. Christ is the substance. And so... um, you already talked about how a church should be run. And then we're going to look at the true source of godliness and what that means. And then also more about false teachers and what they were teaching more specifically. So I know that you're awake. Those of you that are here say, amen. amen. That's pretty good. Okay. Those of you online. I'll read your lips. Look, somebody's going like this, pretending they're sleeping. (laughs) I don't blame you. This is known as the psalmonex Bible study, for those of you who have trouble sleeping. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 3. So he's given all these qualifications. Who should be an elder and who shouldn't? And same thing with deacons. A deacon is just somebody. It's interesting that the qualifications for deacons are almost the same as elders. And yet, the jobs are totally different elders are supposed to teach and make decisions for the church and lead and do other things like that and deacons it doesn't say what does that mean it means whatever needs to be done a deacon is a servant of the church and there's no job description because it could be anything um so in any case um He ends up, verse 12 of chapter three, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. It's very similar to the elder qualifications we saw earlier. Verse 13, those who have served well, this is where we left off last time, verse 13, chapter three of Timothy. Those who have served well, done that job of deacon or elder well, gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Jesus Christ. So there's a horizontal and a vertical there. Did you see it? The great standing is that in the community of the church, people know that lady, like I mentioned, Mary over here, is one of those people at this church. If you go here, you know um, that they, she. that family does a lot in this church. I see some other families that do the same thing. Um, it's to be commended. Excellent standing could even mean excellent standing with the father in heaven because he's pleased you're serving his kingdom um, and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus, not that their faith is or salvation is earned by what they're doing, but the fact that they're, they want to do it and that they're doing it is uh, Philippians 2, uh 12 and 13, that it's God that works in you both to will or want to, And to work according to his good pleasure. So there's a a real excellent standing and in heaven assurance of their faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, verse 14. Um, although I hope to come to you soon, this is like a personal note, a little par- parenthesis. He loves Timothy. Timothy's a much younger guy. Timothy's probably in his late twenties or early thirties, kind of a timid guy will learn, uh, next this week or next week. And he's pastoring this church where, you know, a lot of crazy stuff's going on. Paul's an older man, sixties, seventies, somewhere in there. That's not that old. Is it? Those of you that are in your eighties understand now, I remember when 30 was really Old, right? Okay. Um, Although I hope to come to you soon, Paul writes Timothy, I'm writing you these instructions so that, verse 15, if I'm delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. Okay, go back to verse 14. The answer to that little sentence is he was delayed he didn't make it um so maybe the holy spirit moved him to write this letter he might have thought well i'm going to go there soon i'm not going to bother writing a letter i'll just tell him when i see him the holy spirit knew you're not going to see him write the letter so he writes this letter about how to run a church and we've been using it ever since um why is he writing the instructions? So that, verse 15, if I'm delayed, you'll know, number one, how people ought to conduct themselves, not just the leaders, elders, not just the uh, deacons, those who serve in one capacity or another, everybody in the church, proper um, conduct in the church. God, 1 Corinthians says, is a God of order. If you doubt that, remember that we're all traveling a little over a thousand miles an hour right now. You say, boy, my hair isn't blowing back. The earth is moving at about a thousand miles an hour. Uh, Just the spin, let alone, we're also moving through space. The planets, the stars, the, the way the moon is exactly the right distance away. Everything in science is all about order. People think science and the Bible, oh, it's two different things. You got to choose science or the Bible. Science just tells me God was an incredible designer, architect of everything from the vastness of space to the tininess of stuff. You need a microscope to see there's order. So how to conduct themselves in God's could have said church here. He calls it a household. Like, kind of has family, and you're going to see family words come up a lot in this passage and the next one. God's household. Please notice it's not our household, it's not the pastor's household, Bob's church, you know, it's God's household. So, if you were living in God's household, whose rules would you expect would apply? Yours. I don't like that rule. If it's God's rule, It's a good one. By the way, this is temporary. You know that because human life is temporary. We're not going to be in church forever. You say, thank God. Anyway, this Bible study just started uh, tonight. Um, But one day, remember the end of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There's human lifespan indicating a finite number, because all the days, but they're going to come to an end. And in the future, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So then, face to face in the household of God. You say, how many Christians are there? How big of a house is it? Plenty big, right? Um, If I'm delayed, you'll know how to conduct yourselves in God's household, which is the Church of the living God. Now, the word church, ecclesia, in Greek was just a general word that meant a group that gathered together. It didn't mean, it was nothing religious necessarily, but it became, that word became very uh, much the religious term for God's people. God has designed human life down to the uh, details of families. Husband and wife, children, or at least husband and wife, or people that are single, then they have their friends and other family members. In a church, um, same thing. Um, His rules apply. It's the church of the living God. Don't you love that? Do anybody remember in the late 60s, early 70s, there were bumper stickers that said, God is dead? Do you remember that saying? I used to think, how do you know? I think they thought that because things were not looking that good. And you might think that now. God is never in heaven looking down at earth going, oh, no, look at that. He's never surprised. He's never out of control. Everything is moving toward the conclusion of history to his glory, just the way he predicted. So it's the church of the living God. May I add the non-sleeping? God. If you're up at 3 a.m. and you can't sleep, don't wonder, what's the time zone in heaven? Would God be awake right now? He's awake. Would He want to hear from me? I'm sure He's busy with other prayer. He wants to hear from you. Don't you want to hear from your kids? He wants to hear from you. The church of the living God, the pillar, which is something that holds something up. We are a pillar, the church is to hold up Jesus Christ, to hold up the gospel so that people can see it and hear it and understand it. A pillar also supports something, right? But the ultimate support is the foundation of the truth. So it's the pillar of the truth, the truth being the whole gospel, the story of Jesus Christ and all of Christian doctrine, and then the foundation Now, we learn that the foundation, the cornerstone of the foundation is Jesus Christ, that one most important stone in every building back in those days. You might be interested to learn that Ephesians 2, I think it's verse 20, says that the church is built on Jesus Christ and the foundation of the apostles. Isn't that interesting? He chose to have men be involved in the building process. The apostles, some of them wrote the books that we're reading. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, a sent one. He wrote uh, 13 books of the New Testament, possibly wrote 14. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. So it's the church of the living God. The pillar holds something up, foundation of the church. Remember, Jesus talks about building a house on sand and how it'll wash away when a storm comes versus building on the rock. We're on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ and the whole gospel that's the foundation and that if you're one of those people that thinks I love Jesus I love God I like reading the Bible I'm just not into the whole doctrine thing what we believe it doesn't matter to me I have my own relationship with Jesus listen the doctrine is a big part of that foundation what we believe and why every Christian needs there's a call from God right now agreeing with me Every Christian needs to know what they believe and why they believe it. That's why we study the Bible together, because from it, we glean all these doctrines so that when someone says, you know, Jesus really never said he was God. He was just a great teacher. You will know instantly, well, wait, that's not right. I know we're in the Bible. He says, I and the Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he calls himself God eight ways from sunday hebrews calls him god john one calls him god revelation one calls him god you can correct those errors that's the foundation we have to know what we believe and why we believe it for uh, verse 16 beyond all question who has a new american standard here anybody what uh, dave what does new american standard say the, just at the very beginning of verse 16 By common. What was the next word? Confession. By common confession. NIV has beyond all question. In other words, this is something all Christians believe it's beyond dispute, beyond question, what he's about to say. OK, and in this verse, may I say. Not an extremely long verse, kind of long, is so much doctrine packed into one verse. There's other verses that are like this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is that way. Um John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son just real basic christian verses this is one of them it's it's six statements formed in two in groups of two three groups of two beyond all question here it comes the mystery from which true godliness springs is great okay so What do you mean by mystery? We think of mysteries as something we don't know. In the Bible, the term mystery, it's actually mysterion. Sounds like I'm making it up a Greek word, but that's really what it is. A mysterion in the Bible is something that was previously unknown that has now been revealed. Do you understand that? I was talking to some gals before the Bible study about the Old Testament. And the truth is that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, in in the Old Testament, The gospel is somewhat concealed. It's there. If you know where to look, Jesus is on every page of the Old Testament. But it is in the New Testament revealed, the mystery. There's a million hints. If you remember playing games when you were a kid, the Old Testament has a million hints. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3, the seed, sperm, of a woman? Virgin birth. It's hinted at. Genesis, third chapter of the Bible. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Sacrifice of lambs. The shedding of blood to cover sins. The coming Lamb of God. There's so many hints. The high priest, the Ark of the Covenant, N- Noah's Ark, a-, a picture of Jesus Christ that brings us through the storm. You could go on and on. So it's a mystery. The mystery of where true godliness springs from there used to be an ad campaign in the i'll say 70s could have been 80s 1980s i think it's more 70s but i'm not sure um which was for an investment firm called smith barney and they hired john houseman who's got this great british accent and the way he speaks and he used to say we make money the old-fashioned way we earn it. Anybody remember that? Right. And uh, it was almost like a professor in college that would make you feel uncomfortable. We earn it. That is the default human position. People think the average person thinks I need to do something to make God happy. I need to earn it. And you can't you can't possibly be good enough and then if you if you were what about all your past sins all the bad things you've ever done or thought or said what about those well god understands according to what book of the bible god is perfect but he's provided an escape from all of this a forgiveness in grace undeserved what's your point Godliness does not occur because I try so hard to be godly. To be godly, the word comes from the fo- the form of the word that from which it comes is Godlikeness. shortened to godliness. To be godlike, you would have to be sinless, right? Perfect, righteous. Go ahead and try. I'll wait. Okay, are you done? Most of you already sinned since you got here, right? The point is the mystery of godliness is great because it doesn't come from here, from me or you. We can't do it. And yet we know built into us is a desire for it, to know God, to please him. So godliness, there's a mystery and it's a great mystery. That's what's beyond all question. Now, here it comes. Six little statements in, in pairs. Beyond all question, the mystery of Uh, which from which true godliness springs is great he first word oh i'm expecting a list of do's and don'ts tell me how to be godly don't do this do that the old testament was all about that it's called law right thou shalt not thou shalt but the whole purpose purpose of the law or porpoise which is an animal um, the whole purpose of the law was to send us to christ because we realize i can't keep these commandments i keep blowing it So the first word is he, meaning a person. So let's see who it is. The mystery of godliness, how we could become godly. He appeared in the flesh. That's the first one. Let me read them all. Was vindicated or justified by the spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Now, you know, because you're Christians, who's he? Moses? Elijah, John the Baptist, has to be Jesus Christ, right? So the mystery of godliness is not a set of do's and don'ts. It's not that sort of thing at all. It's a person. Jesus Christ is the bridge between the horizontal and the vertical. It's interesting that a cross is a horizontal line and a vertical line, isn't it? Okay, here it comes. He appeared in the flesh. Literally, it reads, he was manifested in the flesh, okay? You might say, well, okay, that just means he's a human being. No, because none of us were manifested in the flesh. We just were born in the flesh. Before I was conceived, I did not exist. Contrary to Mormon doctrine, which says there's spirits flying around heaven, waiting to get bodies to come into right? So have as many babies as you can, ladies, get with it. It's not scriptural, not the baby part. That's fine if you want to. Our life begins at a certain point. His existed previously as God with the Father in heaven, but he was manifested. He took on an additional nature of flesh about 2,000 years ago in a little town in Israel. He was manifested in the flesh. Okay. So that implies that he existed beforehand. It implies that he is um, has two natures. He added humanity to his divinity, Godhood. Not 50% God, 50% man, 100% both. Do I fully understand that? No. But you might say God in a man's body. Old Testament, Isaiah, his name shall be called Emmanuel, which translating is God with us. Why didn't he just come down as God? Because he's so holy, we can't look on him. We would die. And God himself can't bleed and die. He's got to be man. Uh, but there's a catch. He's got to be sinless. We'll get to that. But for now, He is manifested. By the way, these words in the Greek, I forgot to mention, have a certain rhythm to them. And the words, uh, there's uh, a a term for it. I I have it in my notes. Um, I can't think of what it is. There's rhythmic parallelism, assonance. That's the word. Sounds like a funny word. It means similar sounding words. Almost every scholar thinks this is the chorus of a hymn that Christians sung as a way of remembering the gospel, or at least a statement that they would recite, a doctrinal statement. There's another one in the Corinthian book, but for now, let's stay here. So um, let's see. Yeah, we talked about that. Okay. Um, Manifested in the flesh. The term we always hear is incarnation. Carne is flesh or meat in Latin, from which we get the incarnation. God in flesh, in a man's body. So that's the first one, revealed, um, appeared, or manifested in the flesh. He was fully human, and yet he never sinned. We know that. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says so, but also many places. Jesus said so himself, but here's the next one. Was vindicated by or in spirit. The word the is implied, but it's not there. What does that mean, what we just talked about? Vindicated or justified that it it turns out that he was sinless in his spirit. And the Holy Spirit testified to this and many times, right, vindicated by the spirit at his baptism, remember, descended in the form of a dove. Father speaks, this is my beloved son, hear him, all that, in whom I'm well pleased, um so he's vindicated by in spirit in that he's sinless it could be the holy spirit or in spirit scholars disagree on that either way there's his sinless life that he lived um we'll talk in a second about what's missing here and it's interesting why um justified shown what he always was justified before the father remember this is a, a creed that they would sing and it's astounding, and I'll tell you why. Because he's manifested in the flesh, he's justified, sinless. We'll see in a second how far it goes globally. Why is it amazing? Because he was crucified by the Jews as an imposter, right? As a fake Messiah, as a criminal, as a blasphemer, as uh, the worst possible human being that only crucifixion would do for him. And yet, here he is justified by the holy spirit remember his resurrection the holy spirit testifies as well first peter 3 18 all the miracles testify to him okay next phrase seen by angels was seen by angels NIV has this is interesting now there's two schools of thought on this i'll give you the majority and then the minority view they might both be right the majority rule uh, uh, or way of interpreting this is angels are angels. You Are you including fallen angels? Yes. He encountered demons, didn't he? And cast them out. Seen by them. Seen by certainly God's angels, the righteous angels, right? An angel predicts his birth with Mary, uh, speaks with Joseph. Um, an angel... Uh, Comforts him in the temptation in Matthew 4 in the Garden of Gethsemane. Angels come and minister to him. Do you remember that? So that could certainly be what it's talking about. First Peter has an interesting verse, uh, which is first Peter 1:12. Even angels long to look into these things, meaning the gospel. You say, Why, why would they be that interested? Because they saw God eternally in heaven okay, for a very long time. They were, they were created beings, spirit beings. They saw God. They understood God, but on earth, Jesus, they saw God a whole new way. They had never seen God condescend and be humble and serve people. He came to serve, not to be served. Um, they had never seen that degree of love or tenderness with sinful people. They'd never seen the pity and the mercy, the wisdom, the sovereignty they'd seen, but they saw him a whole new way. Angels long to look into these things. Okay, what's the other view? Uh, Angelos in Greek means angels, but literally the word means messengers. And angels are God's messengers. That's true. And usually in the Bible, messenger, the word appears, it means an angel but this verse could mean seen by messengers, okay? So we're already talking about not only his life and his miracles, but even the resurrection possibly. Who saw him? Mary Magdalene, the 12 apostles in stages, remember? As many as 500. Um, saw the resurrected Christ, but thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, saw him do miracles, preach amazing sermons. So he was seen by not just people, but messengers who were there so that they could give the message out. I got news for you. In a sense, you are also those messengers. You're supposed to learn the message and share it with somebody, share it with everybody. Okay, back to the text appeared, manifested or appeared in the flesh, vindicated or justified by the spirit, seen by angels, preached, was preached among the Gentiles or the nations. This is pretty amazing. This is a, a country, Israel's roughly the size of New Jersey. It's not big. You look on a map. Surrounded by countries that generally don't like Israel. And yet there they are. From there, the gospel message, which starts so humbly, spreads to the Gentiles and all over the world. An astounding thing for Jews to understand that it's not just the Jewish Messiah; he's the Messiah for the world. So, from the being vindicated, from the uh, being seen by angels, he's preached. The word is spread. It's kind of a herald announcing, Uh, and again, that's you and I telling other people. Preached among the nations. Pretty amazing thing. What was the reaction? Does everybody who hears the gospel believe it? No. But, next one was believed on in the world. Doesn't mean everybody in the world believes in him. Most people don't believe in him. But Christianity is the largest religion in the world. A little over 2 billion people profess Christ. Are they all truly saved? I don't know neither do you, but that's a lot. Islam is a close second, by the way, in terms of size. Believed on in the world. I love that because it could have easily turned out that nobody really, they tried to spread the message and it just kind of petered out. Then again, with God behind it, how could it, right? The spirit draws people, they come to faith and they believe it. I'm supposed to give the sermon here on May 1st at this church on first uh, John three, 23 and 24, which is only two verses. And I'm studying for that. And there's so much there. I'm, I'm thinking it's like two and a half hours, maybe um, just kidding, but uh, bring your sleeping bags and, um, and a lunch. No, I'm kidding. But there's so much there. And one of the things that's there is what the word believe means. And if you've been in this Bible study for any length of time, you know that most people think believe. Do you believe? Yes. And if I said point to the part of your body with which you believe, most people would go, it's here. It's in my mind. I believe, not biblically. That's certainly part of it. You don't check your brain at the door when you come to Christ. But if that's all it is, what does that really mean? I believe there's a city called Tokyo, don't you? Anybody been there? Okay, one person's been to Tokyo. I've never been, but I, I believe there's a place called Tokyo, don't you? I don't think it's a myth, but so what? I, I don't, I'm not interested in going there, I don't think, and it doesn't change my life any, but I believe it. So it turns out that belief, you've heard me do this before, I'll try to do it quickly, both today and may 1st um, belief has three elements k a t the wrong way to spell cat you remember this k knowledge you have to if you say you believe and i say okay tell me who is jesus and you say i have no idea but i believe that's just silly you got to have at least a basic idea of who he was god in human flesh sinless virgin birth did miracles preached incredible wisdom died on the cross voluntarily took our place to die and take our punishment rose from the dead and ascended to heaven and by because of that we who believe in that sacrifice have eternal life and he comes to live in us permanently as the holy spirit third person of the trinity that's a whole nother can of worms but anyway um and we are born again born in the spirit and our lives begin to change, sometimes radically. And the things that used to be so exciting aren't anymore. And things that used to be so boring, like this big thick Bible book with 66 books suddenly is so interesting to me. It's amazing. What's your point? Belief, at least the K, knowledge. You got to have some knowledge. What's the A? Agreement. So you could look, you could study all of Christianity's doctrines and read the whole Bible and go, okay, I've got the knowledge. Do you agree it's true? No. Okay, well, then you don't have the A. Part of it is you have to have the knowledge and then agree. I see that it's true. God has revealed to me it's true. Is that enough? Seems like it would be. But the demons believe and tremble. They have the knowledge. They even know it's true. But they don't have the T, which is trust that you're trusting in this and this only to please god as a way of forgiveness for sins uh for eternal life for all of the above trust but what does that mean isn't belief just here no it's here it's here it's here it's all of the it's what you do it's what you say it's what you think the belief comes out in evidence, which is good deeds. James says we'd studied James, remember, before we got here. Faith without works is not sick, dead. Works, good works, which are both negative and positive. Repenting from sins that you used to do that now you don't do, and doing the good you know you ought to do that the Bible says you should do. You're starting to do that as well. K-A-T, knowledge, agreement, or assent, and trust. If you can, those of you on Zoom can't see, but I'm sitting on a stool and my legs are off the ground on the little rung that goes across, which indicates I believe this chair will hold my weight 100%. If I didn't, I'd have one leg on the ground just in case the chair collapses, and it might with my weight. But anyway, it's another story. Let's keep reading, shall we? Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nation, believed on in the world it's astounding and it's still occurring people are coming to faith in Christ every single day folks um and then the last thing was taken up in glory well wait it ended so poorly for him he died a bloody swollen gross mess but he rose again that's not listed there is it the resurrection it's implied he has to be raised again, if he's going to be taken up in glory. Acts chapter one, verses nine and 10, the disciples meet him and he speaks to them and then just ascends to heaven. When my son was little, he loved Superman. And I said, you know, someone really did fly like that. Who? Jesus. And I showed him Acts one, nine and 10. He just ascended and they watched him. Luke has it in his gospel too. Just watched him go up no motor, no hang glider. He just ascended back to where he had come from. So that is a lot of doctrine in one verse. It's a mystery. That's how you get godliness. It's a person. Christianity is not a set of do's and don'ts, not a bunch of doctrines. It is, but the central thing is a person. If you take Jesus out of Christianity and just try to, I think there's a lot of good morals in Christianity. I just try to live those morals. Good luck on that. It's a person who died for you in your place. What an amazing thing. And rose from the dead and offers you his record, his righteousness, if you'll trade him for all your guilt and sin. And make him not just your savior, but your Lord, which means boss. Pretty amazing. Taken up in glory. So he ends that chapter with Beyond all question, that's the mystery of true godliness. And it's a great one. All referring to Jesus, who appeared in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on them in the world, taken up in glory. I love it. Um, Let's see. We're going to jump into chapter four. We may finish the whole New Testament tonight at the rate we're going. Not really. By the way, he was received up into glory. You say, yeah, that one's good, I guess. But what's in it for me? I'll tell you what's in it for you. He now sits at the right hand of the father. Listen, interceding, which means praying for you. Is that awesome? Don't you love it when someone says, who you know is very godly? I'm going to pray for you. Oh, thank you. Would you? Jesus is praying for you. He's pulling for you that's an amazing thing. Um, He is in heaven. He was risen uh, fully um, flesh and bone. Uh, Luke 14, where he rises, the disciples are so scared they think they're seeing a spirit or a ghost. He says, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Doesn't mention the blood. Shed his blood. But it's a glorified body, different from yours and mine, into that he comes through walls and doors, remember? Pops into the road to Emmaus to some guys and then is instantly beamed up, so to speak, or beamed somewhere else, a uh, Star Trek reference. What's your point, Joe? In heaven, when Jesus is seen in the book of Revelation in chapter 5, he appears as a la- looking as a lamb as if it had been slain. What does that mean? It means the only man-made things in heaven, man-made things will be the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, wounds in his side, maybe the wounds from the crown of thorns looking like a lamb that was slain. Where is he in Revelation 5 when he's seen that way in the center of the throne. If you don't think he's God you got to ask them what's he doing on the throne? boy he's going to get kicked off of there. No, he's fully God. Pretty amazing thing. Timothy has been warned about um, the all these false teachers. Now in chapter four, um, he's, Paul's going to equip him to know how to handle a bunch of different situations in a church. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. That's pretty good. Not as loud as the first time, but that's all right. Verse one, chapter four. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times or later times, some will abandon the faith, apostatize, fall away, and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. You say, do they know they're demons that they're being taught by? No. Um, Satan appears as an angel of light, right? Okay, the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, clearly says in later times, you say, well, we're, are we in later times? Yes. What's the definition of later times? How many years are we talking? So far, pretty close to 2000. Elsewhere in the New Testament, latter, the latter days or the end times or later times, all different ways of saying the same thing, are described as the time between, listen, the two advents or the two comings of the Lord Jesus. When did the end times start? Soon as he ascended to heaven. The end times began. John writes, first uh, John, end of the first century, and he says, uh, it, it's, you know, you've heard in the end times, we're already living in the end times. There's already many antichrists, all of that. End times is that long period of time where God's dealing with the Gentiles, bringing them to faith, some Jews. He will deal with the Jews more exclusively in the period called the tribulation, a seven-year period at the end of the world. But the end times ends with the second coming. So between those two times Jesus showed up on the earth, we're in that latter days. What's going to happen, Paul? Some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. They'll abandon the faith. They'll apostatize. They'll fall away. They will appear to be Christians. They'll use Christianese verbs and nouns. They'll have a Bible. They will have come to church, and then they'll go off the rails and I found something a little better than Christianity. I'm going to be leaving the church. Really? Better? The Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, those are non-Christian cults. Are you aware of this fact? They get most of their membership from Christian churches, not unchurched pagan people that I never go to church when they knock on the door and It's mostly people that go to church that don't know what they believe and why they believe it. They don't know the foundation and the pillar of truth we just talked about. Therefore, they're easily tricked by some very nice people with white shirts and bicycles or people that knock on your door. They mean well, those people, though, Joe. Yes, I know. But I believe that behind them are people teaching that doctrine who don't know it maybe either, or maybe they do, but it's doctrines of demons. I used to think, well, if demons taught doctrine, they would teach worship the devil with one of those weird voices that scares you kind of, you know, and go kill everybody in your neighborhood. Satan's not stupid. Most people would go, I'm not going to worship the devil. That's a stupid, murder people. No, no. Satan just wants to get you off track a little bit just a little at least at first then you end up with Mormon doctrine which says Jesus uh, is the brother spirit brother of Lucifer the devil and that God used to be a man just like you're a man a human and humans can become gods and reign over their own planets if they're men and on and on and on, it gets weirder and weirder. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is a created being. And he's Michael, the archangel, not the son of God. He's not a God. He's he's not God, sorry, capital G. He's a God, small g. What the heck does that mean? Anyway, they just get off a little. Do those people think they're Christians? Yes. Are they? No. Why? Because they don't believe what God has clearly spoken in his word. I just looked at the clock. It's time for our two-minute break where we stretch our almost asleep bodies. Don't go away. I'll be back in two minutes. I'm going to turn my screen off. Make sure to say hello to someone you don't know if you're here. I'll be back in two minutes. Back. There we go. Find your seats, those of you that are here. So the Holy Spirit says that in... Later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I want you to know, ooh, cookies. Somebody brought cookies. I want you to know that this is not the first time this was warned about. People were warned about this. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, here's what's going to happen at the end of the world or toward the end. One of the things he mentions the most is watch out for false Christs and false messiahs. Paul, in the book of Acts chapter 20, warns deceitful spirits, bad doctrine, people are going to be drawn away by it. The question is, could you be fooled by false doctrine? Just the fact that you're wasting your Tuesday night with me tells me probably not. Because we teach out of the Bible here. Um, And I think that if someone preached a sermon, even in a good church, that you can be a God. Or that Jesus really wasn't God. Or he didn't really rise from the dead. Or the Bible, there's a lot of mistakes, a lot of it you really shouldn't read. I have a feeling most of you would say, wait a minute, what's going on here? A little check in your spirit right? Um, The question is, before we move on, who are these people that fell away? And were they saved previously? And did they lose their salvation? And can I lose mine? Oh, she brought me cookies for later. You're so sweet. You get an A in the class for the whole month now. Don't even do the homework. Thank you for the cookies. Look at that. Oh, there's two. All right. Um <laughs> That's so nice. I thought you were bringing me a note or something. I was panicking my That's so sweet. Now, if I eat them now, I'll be You will not understand me. Okay, sorry. Um turn to um the first John chapter 2 real fast. You've seen this verse before if you've been in this Bible study. First John, so way back by Revelation, and then take a left, go before Jude. You'll see three short books by John, first John, second John, third John. You want first John chapter two. I just want to show you this real fast. I want to show you that the ones that fell away that seemed like they were Christians that went to church and said, God bless you, and prayed over their meals and seemed Christian when they fell away. They proved that they weren't, because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I believe the Holy Spirit moves in and unpacks and stays there. Can you slip and fall here and there? Absolutely. But does the Holy Spirit convict you and bring you back? He does. First John chapter 2. Pick it up in verse 18. Dear dear children, this is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They, certain people in the church, went out from us. Ah, same thing, apostasy. But they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. These people had a said faith rather than a true conversion, saving faith, Holy Spirit. So some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. That's an astounding thing. When you hear a pastor give a sermon that's not biblical, he might look like a nice guy in a three-piece suit with that evangelist hair, but (laughs) Dave's going like this, there's little horns if you look close in the hair. No, not really, but Doctrines of demons. Okay. We might have to go. Yeah, we do. Let's go to Genesis 3 real fast. You say, Boy, you're all over the map tonight. Yes, I am. So sue me. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to show you three doctrines of demons that are still around today that Satan told Eve and Adam. Genesis 3. Okay. Three lies. Three doctrines of demons. Doctrine number one. Are you there, Genesis 3? Say amen. Amen. Serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals. He said to the woman, this is still in verse one, did God really say? Can you trust that Bible? You think it's God's word? Did God really say? And now he's going to misquote the what god said you must not eat from any tree in the garden god never said that he just said don't eat from that one tree remember do you see this today absolutely you can't trust the bible you know they took reincarnation out of the bible a lot of the words are changed and we've lost a lot of the bible god has preserved his word satan loves to challenge god's word okay lie number two Woman replies, that's Eve. We can eat from any, tree, any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Now she misquotes him about the touch it thing, but that's all right. God said, if we eat it, we'll die. Lie number two, verse four, you will surely not die. Translation, God lied to you. He's holding you back from Godhood. Watch. For God knows, verse 5, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. Doesn't that sound good? Yes. And you'll be like God. See, you can be a God. There's a New Age church on this street, down the street. Do you know that? That meets here? The Positive Living Center, where you can learn that you used to be a God. Man used to know it, and now we've forgotten it. We are gods. And the earth is our mother. Give me a break. Okay. God knows and you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He's holding you back. God doesn't love you. Um, these are just examples of, we already gave some others, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, false doctrine. It's all over the place. Be careful who you listen to, what you read. Um, it's okay to read Christian books. There's some really great Christian books but the best Christian book is the Bible. Is that not, God's in heaven going, hey, I wrote a book. Did you ever read mine? Right? Uh, do I have to autograph it for you? So um, three lies. Does Did God really say? Lie number one, you won't die. Lie number two, they did. Lie number three, God doesn't love you or have your best interest in heart at heart. Okay, verse two. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. Now we've talked about the deceiving spirits or demons. Demons are fallen angels, right? They were good angels. They went with Satan when he rebelled. Many say, I couldn't prove it except for one verse, a third of the angels defected and went with God. That's the commonly held belief. Um, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars. Now he's talking about the men or women who teach the false doctrine, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron, burned to the point of numbness. You say like with actual hot irons or fires? No. What that means is this. If you ignore your conscience and sin anyway, it'll get a tiny bit easier to sin the next time and then even easier and then way easier eventually and then you barely will hear your conscience voice and then eventually it's seared it's burned where you don't even hear it do you see drive-by shootings reported in major cities talk about a seared conscience killing another human being uh revenge killings and all of that um You can sear your conscience. Romans 2 is all about conscience, by the way. Um, But the fact that Paul calls them liars, some of the scholars I read say these guys are deceiving people, and they know it. They know they're liars. They're lying, and they know it. Well, then why would they be bothering in a church? Money, power, who knows, right? Get cults after them uh, to follow after them, so that's where the teachings come from. We already learned in the past chapter where does godliness come from. Here's where it don't come from, and yes, that's bad English, I know. Um, hypocritical liars um, who say one thing and do another. A hypocrite is somebody that does that, says one thing and does another. uh these are people whose consciences have been seared, both about the lying, and probably what's hinted at is they're probably sinning as well. Show me a church where the pastor's teaching bad doctrine. I bet if you look, you can find um, some real sinful behavior going on in the background. Verse 3 they forbid people to marry. He's going to give some examples now. In order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. What's going on here? One of the teachings that was a false teaching there was, uh, it's a fancy word, asceticism. Okay, Asceticism is the idea that in order to please God, I have to practically torture myself. Because the commonly held belief in the Greek world was that the spirit is good. The physical, the body is evil. Okay. So don't feed your body. uh, Don't ever eat cooked food. There were monks in the early years of Christianity that would go to desert places and never wash and let bugs crawl all over them all because i'm earning for look how much i'm suffering god as if jesus suffering didn't quite get there i need to do my suffering they would literally lean on standing sharp rocks cutting into their legs can you relate to the knee pain uh, dave thank you very much dave had a knee or or the hip pain i'm with you sister Anyway, and they would all night not sleep because I'm just depriving my body of any pleasure and total pain. I'm kneeling in glass just to show God I'm suffering. Now you owe me. Really? Okay. So they're saying, don't marry. That's a pleasure thing for your body. Don't do it. Abstain from marrying. kind of interesting that the Catholic church as a prerequisite to becoming a priest, you can't marry, right? Whereas elders, leaders of churches, priests, hello, the first requirement is husband of one wife. Kind of interesting. Uh, Okay, asceticism. So yeah, these monks would torture themselves. They uh, uh, are earning favor with God. Do You remember in the Old Testament, the prophets Competing with the prophet of God, cutting themselves. Do you remember that? Look how much I'm suffering as if God's pleased by that. It's so crazy. Um, So, trying to get God to owe them, think this through with me. What comes eventually is legalism because I'm doing this and you're not. You don't love God like I do. Look at my knees are all bloody. God knows I love them now. It's so silly. Um, as if we need to get God to owe us, which would be making him our servant, which would make us his master, which would make us kind of God over God, right? That's how crazy it is. Um, And yet with all that effort they go through, Romans 3.24 says, we are freely justified by his grace through the redemption in christ jesus freely he just says come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden i'll give you rest don't cut yourself jesus says i got all that done to me so you wouldn't have to do that stuff in any case the other influence was judaism okay And so what's going on here is they would say, yes, Jesus is great. The Galatian book is all about this, too. Jesus is great. We believe in Jesus, but we're Jews. And you Gentiles, Gentiles and non-Jew, you guys have to adopt all the Jewish rules so you can't eat bacon. Amen. Ham, forget it, right? I'm out already. Pork chops, ham sandwich. You can't have a cheeseburger because that's a dairy product with a meat product touching each other. Can't do that. You have to have all the Jewish law which Jesus fulfilled. So in this verse, they forbid people to marry. That's more asceticism and order them to abstain from certain foods. Well, wait a minute, Joe. Didn't God say? Old Testament kosher non-kosher foods don't eat shellfish don't eat pork as so many other things didn't he say that yes well what about that in the new testament is that law done away with abrogated and the answer is yes again and again and again cuz we're a little slow to learn these things it's a nice thing to feel like i'm doing this for you god no ham no bacon god says please eat whatever let's look at a couple verses that talk about that because i want you to see it we're not under that law we're under grace first place to go mark 7 gospel of mark so matthew then mark chapter 7 verse 19 if you can't find it that's okay i'll just read it really quickly we're not going to be here long mark 97 verse 19 for a for it doesn't go he's talking about food pick it up in verse 18 are you so dull he asked don't you see that nothing enters a man from the that enters a man from the outside food or drink can make him unclean for it doesn't go into his heart but into his stomach and then out of his body in saying this jesus declared all foods clean can i get an amen including cookies k right cookies are on that list all foods are clean now listen Don't go home and say, Joe said I could eat whatever I want. Listen, (laughs) there may be medical reasons why you shouldn't maybe eat certain things. Some things are healthier to eat than others. Twinkies are not as healthy (laughs) as vegetables. But in religious, in terms of spiritually, is God um, still wanting us to abstain from certain foods? No. Okay, now from there, uh, go to, let's see, where do we want to go next? Um, Acts chapter 10, verse 15, real fast. Acts chapter 10, I'll just read it in case you can't get there fast. Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision. Remember up on the roof? He's hungry, wants something to eat. God has a big sheet come down with all kinds of animals in it, including unclean animals. I'm sure there was a little Porky the Pig in there. And Peter's saying, oh, I would never eat any of this. God, I'm still with you on those rules. And uh, the voice speaks to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. By the way, verse 16, this happened three times isn't that amazing let's do it all again peter's a little slow here comes the sheet again oink oink oh i won't eat it no no that's all folks right the law is done okay um so what happens right after that is he meets cornelius who's a gentile a non-jew not supposed to talk to them and he ends up getting saved That's what the application was. Not only are the food things out, but the whole idea of Jews being one thing can now we can spread the gospel to everybody. You might ask the question. I know I have. Okay, but why? Why those rules? No pork for Jews. This food for Jews. You can't wear cotton and wool at the same time. Why all these weird rules? They are a little weird, you have to admit. God wanted to preserve the line genetically to get to the Messiah. So he wanted the Jews to be, and this is a biblical word, a peculiar people. If you're a pagan living next door to some Jews and you go, what? Bacon, lettuce, tomato, we're making them. You, You can't have it? Why? God said no. Huh. It would make them a little peculiar. Did they obey him? No, they let the pagan stuff come in to a great extent, but he was trying to preserve the line. Once the Messiah came, he fulfilled the law. All that's out the window now. Praise God, we have great liberty. But whoever brought the cookies, could you bring bacon next week? Because bacon, bacon cookies sounds good to me. Um, okay, so we could go elsewhere. First Corinthians ten talks about it for eleven verses. Um, God created marriage and food for our enjoyment. We're free now. The sin debt has been paid. We're not under law. We're under grace. It's an amazing thing. Now, there were the Essenes, E-S-S-E-N-E-S, a sect of Jews who lived out in the wilderness, who had all kinds of man-made rules. They forbade, said, no, you can't marry. They uh, had all kinds of food laws stricter laws listen than god god's going I, I didn't say to do that boy you people are going overboard thinking they're pleasing him pretty amazing uh let's keep rolling shall we verse four um no well let's stay in verse three which god created what marriage and fo- and f- foods he created all of them to be received with thanksgiving you th- are you married? Do you thank God for your spouse? Has your spouse passed away? Do you thank God for who she or he was? If you're not married, thank God, maybe that you're not. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That was, that was bad. I'm sorry. Um, both of those, the food and marriage is something to be received with Thanksgiving, which implies two things received, meaning no, I earned the money that got the food on the table at our house. No, you didn't. It's all from God. That's why we thank God for the food. Every time Jesus eats in the New Testament, he thanks God. If he thanks God, shouldn't we? You mean even in a restaurant? Yes, in a restaurant, but it's embarrassing. What's embarrassing about it? Bow your head. Let's pray over the food. I've had waiters come up in the middle of the prayer and just stand there and wait, right? We're busy. Oh, Lord, we speak forth, you know, I do a big long prayer just to bug him, you know, just kidding. And the same thing with marriage, thanksgiving, very, very important to understand we've received these things from him. Received by who? Those who believe and who know the truth. Let's keep rolling. Verse four, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with that thanksgiving. You ever do this? You're so hungry. You sit down and you start eating. And in the first two bites, you got a big mouthful and you go, we didn't pray. pray." Better late than never, right? Um, Certainly you can pray after the prayer, after the meal, I guess, right? Verse five, because why is it good and not to be rejected? Verse five, because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. Okay, what's going on there? The food that we're eating, these things that we're talking about marriage, excuse me, and food are consecrated, set apart by God as holy institutions because he gave them to us. Sidebar, quickly, the institution of marriage, Genesis uh, 3, 2 actually, um, and a lot of other places, Ephesians 5, and then of course eating. Let's talk about eating for a quick second, shall we? When was the last time you ate? Anybody not eat at all today? Anybody? Show me your hands if you did. You liars. Yes, you did. (laughs) Cookies, right? Did you eat one time today or multiple times today? Multiple times. The Bible calls itself, God chooses these words carefully. He calls the Bible food, nourishment, milk of the word. And eventually the meat of the word. I don't get what you're saying. We're supposed to eat each page one a day. Yes, that's, no, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. You wouldn't say, well, I ate last week. I'm not eating this week. You might if you're that much of a faster. I can't do it. I don't know about you. He means be in the word just like the way you eat. Morning, noon, night. Eat the word. It's weird because spiritually it nourishes you in a way that food nourishes your body. The Bible nourishes your spirit. Show me a Christian that says they believe and they go to church on Sunday for an hour and a half and that's it. I'll show you a malnourished, starving Christian with stunted growth. Probably you eat once a week. You're not going to look good after a while. Right? I'm getting hungry talking about food. Let's move on. Verse six. If you point these things out, by the way, the prayer at the end of verse five, there's the prayer before the meal, consecrated by the word of God and prayer of thanksgiving. We already talked about that. Verse six if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister, that means servant of Christ Jesus nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed did you see the word nourished in there fed by so point these things out he's saying to timothy who's a pastor to the brothers and sisters of the believers and you'll be a good servant of christ jesus nourished on the truths of the faith in a way this is like a big banquet you say the cookies no no the word of god right we are feeding on god's word it's nourishing our spirits i can guarantee you if you weren't christians you'd have a hard time sitting for 90 minutes through this boring stuff did you ever read the bible before you were a christian And just feel like you're reading somebody else's mail and it makes no sense. And it's just kind of like, what what is the deal with this book? Over my head. Now you read the same parts that you read before and it makes total sense to you and feeds your spirit. Uh, It's an amazing thing. Nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Not taught, although that's in there too. What does that mean? He's not only teaching it, he's following it. He's living it. Verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Key word here is train yourself. That's what he's going to talk about now. This is another of the false teaching thing that's going on in that church. He's giving all these examples. Godless myths and old wives' tales. These are made-up stories. Have you ever studied, we studied it, uh, I think I was eighth or ninth grade, mythology. That was the most boring subject to me. Who cares? So-and-so was the goddess of wine, and this one was the god of fertility, and I wanted to yell out, but they don't exist. Anyway, it's like the tooth fairy. Sorry, those of you that believe in the tooth fairy, there is a tooth fairy. Your mom will tell you eventually about that. Okay why would you bother with myths and legends the greeks and the romans had a god for everything where did they get them joe they made them up who made them up people that were deceived by lying spirits demons demons don't care whether you worship satan they just care that you worship anybody except the true god and jesus christ anybody they don't care worship the chair Look at pagan, really primitive cultures that worship trees or rocks, or they build little pyramids or little idols and bow down to them. Every time there's worship like that, and that is worship, and you look at it and you go, that's so stupid. It's just a dead rock thing you carved or a dead wood thing. Behind that rock thing or that wood thing, there's a dev- a devil or a demon going, bring it. Thank you. Yes, worship me. They don't know they're worshiping it. They're worshiping in ignorance. I get that. But nonetheless, that is an absolute insult to the true God, an absolute insult. He's the one that gave you all the food you've ever eaten, all the water you've ever drank, every talent and gift that you have. All the days that you've had so far and the ones you're going to have, the health that you have to be able to do what you do. Do I need to keep going? The friends that you have, the family that you have, the church that you have, the Bible, his son who died. He gave you all that and you're going to worship the stone idol? It's, unbel- it's an insult to God. Okay, let's move on, shall we? It's not a good thing to worship cookies either. I just want to mention that. Um, so have nothing to do with those. In other words, don't major on that stuff major on the true, not on the false stuff. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Remember godliness? Where did it come from? He, he, he. It was all about a person. How do you train yourself to be godly? Let me ask you this. How do you train yourself if you want to compete in the Olympics? Train hard, first of all. Right, it's not a hobby. Well, an hour a week, I'm going to give to swimming and see how I do. You're going to lose. Those people, from the time they get up to the time they go to bed, they got one thing on their minds, right? Lifting weights, swimming, all just refining that one thing. He's saying, train yourself to be godly. You go, okay. What? Where are the weights that I lift for that? Listen, the Bible church, Bible studies. Those are the Christian gymnasium. Do you realize that's where you are right now? We went for another metaphor from the Christian banquet. Now it's a gym. Okay. But it's just a training gym. What do you mean? We talk here a lot, right? But then all of you get in your cars or you walk home if you live close and you got to live your life. And that's where Are you going to put into practice what you learned in Bible study or in the sermon or in the, what you watched on TV or whatever that was Christian? The point is train yourself, train like an athlete. He's writing to people in the Greek culture who are so into the Olympics and the Greek games. And it was everything. Let's talk more about that for physical training. Now he's talking about actually, you know, running, lifting weights, exercise is of some value but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You can't say that about exercise, okay? I don't care how in shape a person is. You ever see those guys, the steroid out with the just, or the women even more like, why? But anyway, all of that, how much good does that exercise, all that effort do when you get to heaven? Answer, none. Zero. As opposed to this gym, what you're doing now will have an effect for eternity. Therefore, it's absolutely superior. Since a lifespan, 100 years, 110 years, 105 years, 80 years, whatever we get, is a spit in the ocean compared to eternity. Better to train yourself to be godly. It's a win-win. Because for the life to come, it's everything. But even in the life now, this is a superior life to live the Christian life. Yes, but I will miss the alcohol and the drugs and the lying and the stealing and the lust. and the. Really? What what about that do you miss? None of it's good. All of God's rules are for our own good, aren't they? So train ourselves to be godly. Whether you know it or not, that's why you're here. It's not the cookies. It's to train yourself in godliness, which has value for all things promise for the present life and the life to come the christian life is more fulfilling absolutely than the sinful life no question this is a trusty a trustworthy sorry state saying verse 9 it deserves full acceptance what he means is the one he just said he usually says it and then there's something after it it might be the one after most scholars said What he just said is the one he means, the trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Train yourself to be godliness. Godliness has greater value than physical training. Um, Verse 10, that is why we labor and strive because we've put our hope in the living God who's the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Sounds like double talk. Let's take that apart and then we'll quit. That's why we labor and strive. It's the idea of working hard to the point of exhaustion for the gospel. Exhaustion in studying the word, in memorizing it, if you can, in prayer, exhausting working for God. There's no higher calling. Okay. That's why we labor and strive, because we've put our hope in one thing, the living God. That's it. You know, that people put their hope in or work hard for money and power and PhDs and fame and sex and material possessions. And none of that stuff has any eternality to it whatsoever. It's all going to burn. We've put our hope in the living God who, by the way, cannot lie. Can't lie. Therefore, your hope is stronger in him than in anybody else. Because anybody else will, people will disappoint you, won't they? Me included. Every human being will disappoint you sooner or later. God never will. He's our living hope. Um, Our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people. You say, is he talking about God the Father? I think he's talking about God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Well, isn't Jesus the Savior? Yes. Old Testament, though, the Father is called the Savior many, many times. Well, which is it? Both. God the Father had the plan to save us, sent the Son who saved us. The Spirit comes to live inside of us. God the Trinity is the Savior, in a sense, although Jesus did the work of the dying on the cross and what have you. Okay, but Savior, what's this last thing, and we'll quit. Of all people, especially of those who believe, sounds like double talk. Is he the savior of all people? If so, universalism, which is taught in a huge church in Chicago, huge. What's universalism? Everybody goes to heaven. Don't worry. Everybody. Axe murderers, Satanists, everybody goes to heaven. Ollie oliox-free. Remember that when you were playing as a kid? Not biblical. More people, according to Jesus, wide is the gate that leads to destruction and many are the way, and many there be that find it. Few find the narrow gate that less people get saved than don't, right? So what is this saying? I believe it's saying this, that the, the gospel, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, listen, was sufficient to save anybody, even sufficient to save everybody but effective for those who believe. That's why it's especially for those who believe. Jesus has enough spiritual dollars in his bank account to save every one of us. It's a bad analogy, I know, but best I could come up with. However, only the ones that cash the check are the ones that go to heaven. Well, it seems too good to be true. Okay, don't cash it, but it's true. It's, it's a glorious thing. Let's close there and pray, and we'll get out of here, and we'll pick it up next time, God willing. Let's pray. Thank Father, thank you for this time we can spend in your word, and I'm so thankful that people want to study the word, and there, we're all thirsty and hungry for more, or we wouldn't be here. What an awesome, awesome thing. And that even that thirst and that hunger is given by you. So we're thankful for it. And we want to learn more. Help us to be diligent about training ourselves in righteousness, to take it that seriously, to godliness, to be studying your word every day, putting the Bible on the kitchen table where we'll see it, or by our chair in the family room, or by the bed at night, or maybe one of each and always uh, in it, always in prayer. Help us to... uh, Be leery of false doctrine. Help us to learn what we believe and why we believe it so we won't be fooled when we hear the false doctrines. Help us to be the kind of people that serve at a church, that don't ask what the church can do for them, but ask, how can I help here to make this a better church, a better family? Lord, help us to be better examples. The world's watching us. May we live for your glory which is beneficial for us and for the world and gives pleasure to you. And then it's beneficial for all eternity. Win-win. Thank you, Father, for these truths. Thank you that Christianity is true, evidential, and historic. We believe it, God. Lead us to greater growth. Help us to feast on your word. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know who's here. They're waiting to see if you'll talk to them. And those of you on Zoom, thank you for being here. God bless you. See you next time. Nice to see your faces.